My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. We are here today with my very good friend, Melissa Campisi. How are you, Melissa? Hi, George. How are you? For the folks out there that don't know Melissa, which I know a lot of you in education already do, she's an entrepreneur, a teacher, an advocate, and a writer. I love that you excel in three major areas of your life. Number one, you're an awesome wife and mom. Number two, you're passionate about music, like many other people. But you sing and play the piano, which is a little different. And number three, you're passionate about writing. Before we get into how you do each of these three things at such a high level, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, I'd love to. Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Campisi. I'm a children's author, but formerly an ESL educator in New Jersey. And now I am going around visiting different schools and bookstores and promoting um, and sharing my, my two books. I am an English language learner, which is about cultural stories. And also my other book is Imagine Song, which is about the power of uh, your inner creativity and how you should share it with the world. She's doing big things, y'all. She's doing amazing <laughs> things. For the audience, they may not know, Melissa and I met on social media, I want to say in 2020. Yes, it was definitely during the pandemic. It was in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and she's all over Twitter, all over Instagram. Melissa, tell the people, what is the status of our relationship today? How has it evolved? I... I look up to George. I definitely instantly connected with you because you turned your passion into purpose. And that's what I try to strive to do every day. And you have also become a mentor to me over the years. I've reached out to you a lot, asking you suggestions about certain things. And you've always helped me and guided uh, my way through uh, some of the some of the times I was stuck uh, on my path. So that's how I that's how we met and connected. And also, I think one time you shared pictures of your childhood from Queens. <laughs> and I go, is another Queens boy. I grew up in Queens as well till I was 12. And we have that connection as well. But I have to find out, are you a Mets fan or a Yankees fan? I'm a Mets fan. Uh, so yes. you're, real, you're really Queens. <laughs> Let's give a shout out to Queens for everyone listening. Now, I know that you're in New Jersey now, right? Yes. When I grew up early on, uh, the Mets were the team. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's any New Yorkers out there, but remember the 86 Mets, the 88 Mets. I will always be a fan of them. Of course, I love the Bronx. I was born in the Bronx and I love the Yankees, but I love the Mets more. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So for folks listening out there and watching, If you're new to our show, it's called the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast, where I interview sometimes educators, sometimes my friends, 
And I asked them about three things that they excel at. And we make sure that these are things that the audience really cares about. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel by just hitting subscribe. So let's start with your family. What does being part of a family mean to you? Being part of a family means unconditional love and compassion. We're always there to support each other and hold each other up and help guide each other through life's ups and downs. Um, also, what family means to me is continuation. So what I think of is whatever I'm doing now with my children, I'm hoping to instill and model for them of how they can be with their families and so forth um, down the line. So, um, for example, yesterday I made uh, some tomato sauce. Um, and I, I do that sometimes on Sundays because my father used to do that on Sundays. And um, when me growing up, we had always had my friends over and we had family over and my dad would cook for everybody. And yesterday we had the my, my boys over with their neighbors and we were having pasta together and talking and chatting. And I was just thinking, I go, this is wonderful. Something that my father has taught me to do as a parent. I'm trying to instill this now with my kids to keep those traditions alive. It's all about traditions. And mm -hmm. I'm getting older. I turned 48 a couple of weeks ago. And you start to think about when you're not going to be here, right? Mm -hmm. And I keep on telling myself and I keep on telling my own children, like I'm very intentional how you are and letting them know what we're doing now is a tradition. And mm -hmm. I want you to do these things when I'm no longer here so that you know what to do. But also I want you to remix it and do it in your own way. I think that's right. fabulous. So I want to ask you, I know that you're Latina, mm -hmm. but you talked about tomato sauce. So my mother uh, was born in Cuba. She's a Cuban immigrant. Um, mm -hmm. My grandfather as well is, is uh, Cuban. They left Cuba in the 60s because of the communism. They went to live in Spain because my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, is was born there. So they were, were able to live in Spain for a couple of years. And then my grandfather, who thought Spain was a little bit too slow paced for him, came to the United States and uh, settled in Astoria, Queens. Astoria, Queens. Yes. Wow. My dad's family is of Irish and Italian descent. So my dad... Uh, was born and raised in Queens as well from Jackson Heights. Mm, I've definitely been there. I grew up in Queens. I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. All right. So you got your, you know, traditions down. Mm -hmm. And as we know, family, it's about relationships. Yep. It sounds like you have a big family, right? Not everyone has a big family, but you definitely do. How do you maintain really close relationships beginning with your husband and your children? Um, I maintain relationships with them. Uh, I think just always keeping the conversation doors open, not being judgmental, not being um, quick to punish. Um, so I'm always there to kind of understand where my children are at or where my husband is at at the moment. Before I spoke about love and compassion, it's that compassion piece. Uh, before jumping into, don't do that. Oh, you, you know, it's we're, I feel like we're all so quick to to do that, but it's really trying to understand where our kids are coming from. And you have two kids like I do, and they're both totally different personalities. So how I handle certain situations with my oldest son is completely different 
to how I handle situations for my younger son. So it's also knowing the personalities and the dynamic of the relationships. Mm. It's so interesting. The thing that you said is that you don't judge. Mm -mm. My children, and I'm sure most children, most people hate being judged, right? How did you learn that? Because I had to unlearn how to give feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how did you learn that? I think it's because I was judged a lot uh, mm. growing up and people look at you and think that you're a certain way when they don't really know you. So I feel like I've always been trying to, I don't want to say prove people wrong, but show them more of, of who I am as a person. And I want the same thing for my children. I don't want someone to look at them and be like, oh, they, they look this way, they're a certain way. And that goes for anybody. I hope to teach them that as well when they encounter different relationships throughout their life that, you know, be open to everybody and, and feel people out first before thinking, oh, they look this way and they're going to be this certain way. That's a really good point. I do want to ask you about relationships in a big family. I'm a big fan of 50 Cent and 50 Cent said, I don't go to Christmas. I don't go to Thanksgiving because I just don't get along with my family. There's always Aww. someone that's going to say something in a jealous way and I'm going to get mad and I really don't want to do that. I know a lot of people that struggle with their family members. How do you maintain mm -hmm. close ties with all these folks? I, I love hosting. And when I have people over for family events, um, like for Christmas or birthday parties or whatever, I try to get everybody involved. So whether that's if they want to cook with me, if they want to help me set the table, if they want to bring their own special dish, um, whatever it is, when people come to my home, just like how it was in my classroom as a teacher, I want people to feel like they belong there that they are valued. Um, I also like to play games. So a lot of times like for Christmas or for New Year's, we do um, a lot of uh, fun board games with each other, even with uh, the kids, just for some memories and for laughs. Mm. To a listener that's out there and they're struggling. Not everyone's an extrovert. Not everyone is as intentional as you are or as other people. And mm -hmm. they're not as lively. What are three pieces of advice that you would give them if they're struggling to connect with their spouse, with their children, or other family? Well, I think number one is to put the judgment away. Even though we might not feel like we are, always double check how you're feeling um, and make sure that Whoever comes to your house, you open them with, uh, you know, with the embrace and, and love. Like I said earlier, have them be involved, have them bring something that's special to them. Um, I also try to set the tone. I always have music on. I try to make life fun because like you said earlier, life is short. We've all been through struggles and illnesses and all that stuff. And I've seen that. And that's a part of life that we have to accept but we also have the power to create these beautiful moments with our family. And when it comes to family, I try to make them memorable, make them happy and make everyone feel like they belong. So that would be the third thing to just always make, feel, make them feel like they belong, whether it's being part of the game and having some laughs or, you know, why don't you make that cocktail drink and we'll, we'll name it, you know, the George or, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> those, those little things to make them feel like, they want to come back. 
make people feel like they belong. That is one of the best pieces of advice that I've heard on the show in dealing with families. So for folks out there, if you like to host, if you have folks over, make sure you make them feel like they belong. Sometimes we have those friends and family though, that no matter what we do, no matter what we serve, how we treat them, whatever, they yeah. will always find a way, always find <laughs> a way to make it bad. So I have been learning to exclude those people, <laughs> just <laughs> exclude them until they're ready yeah. to be part of the group again. I yeah. was watching Jersey Shore back in the day. Oh, oh boy. And Mike, the situation Parts. used to say, you are officially excluded from ravioli night, <laughs> pizza night, or whatever type of night. You're excluded until you can act better. That's a new mm-hmm. motto. So that's so <laughs> funny. Got to learn how to behave. You got to learn how to be part of the part of the pack, right? You need the quorum in life. That's what my daughter says. You mm-hmm. need the quorum. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. excellent. All right. So this show is called the Lifelong Learning Defined Show for folks that are just tuning in. We don't focus on one topic and it doesn't have to necessarily be something in education, but it's got to be something that my guest is very passionate about. Now I'm transitioning from family, from relationships into music. The reason why I'm doing that is because when I became friends with Ms. Campisi, I thought she was just education. She's a creative writer. She's a children's advocate. And I'm seeing a lot of this on her social media feed. But one day I saw a reel and my good friend, Melissa is playing the piano and singing her heart out. So I had to watch. I have to say, she's very talented. Melissa, how did you get into performing music? Um, I would have to go all the way back to maybe I was five-ish or five or six. And we have um, this piano in my house that my grandfather purchased when he uh, first came to the United States. And he used to work three jobs. So um, he, when he used to get come home tired from working the three jobs, he um, made sure his daughters uh, had piano lessons and, to, and play the piano. So when he got home, all he wanted to do after he ate dinner was sit in his chair and listen to his daughters play the piano, especially for Elise. For Elise, was his favorite song. And that's kind of how he relaxed and, and, and kind of focused on his family and, his, and, and spent time with his daughters. I always had that story instilled in me as a child. And that piano was always hanging around my grandmother's apartment. I used to live upstairs. And my grandmother lived downstairs. So she pretty much raised me as well. And I just always wanted to explore the sounds of the piano. So I would always go to it. I remember watching Alice in Wonderland, like the cartoon and pretending some scenes in my head of Alice in Wonderland and kind of like played like the background music to the movie. So that's how I started. And then my grandma and then my parents put me in piano lessons. Um, He was a great pianist from Spain. I used to do piano lessons like once or twice a week. From there, it just started to grow. And about like high school age, I felt that I wanted to write my own music and I explored uh, the piano that way. And that's how it kind of grew into that, into becoming a songwriter. Have you put your music out on iTunes or on Spotify? No, and I'm I'm open to it. But uh, right now I'm still like, I'm still taking those like little like steps of courage. 
And I love putting it on Instagram right now. I'm just doing it on Instagram because I feel like Instagram's like almost like a artistic portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, so if someone goes to your page, they look at all the pictures and they could see like, okay, this is what Melissa is about, or this is what George is about. Um, that's one way I like to, to share and, and connect the music in that way. Like you, I'm a creative, not a creative in music, but mm -hmm. when I would create videos back in the day, I would sit on my videos and not post them because I wasn't confident. And I wasn't sure how it would be received, but you put your music out there. When did you realize I really have talent? Like I can really do this and I'm going to put it out there. Um, I just felt like it, it was time for it to be shared. So I had so many years in my teens and in my twenties and at, you know, beginning of my thirties where it's like, you kept this like to yourself. Mm -hmm. And there, I feel like there just comes to a point where it's like, expose it. And, you know, as far as like caring what people think, of course, we all have an, a, a level of like what people think and what we post and stuff. But I think if it comes from your authentic self, I say, go for it. If it's part of who you are and it's like burning in your heart, I say, share it. And it's going to touch the ones it's supposed to touch. Even if it's like five people, I'm happy with that. Mm. So for folks out there listening, she's giving some really good advice on putting yourself out there. And one of the things that I've learned is that a person that isn't doing the things that they want to do with their life, those are the people that typically have negative things to say about other people. Unfortunately, when someone isn't involved or isn't confident, that is a form of trauma that many people experience, myself included. It really is about developing ourselves and being happy with ourselves because like Melissa said, you never know who you're going to impact. I have a confession. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a rapper. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, I know. But I didn't have the talent for it. And I, love it. I remember that I would write raps and my good friend, Phil, who will be on the show on Wednesday, he was my best friend in college. And in my early twenties, he said to me, you know, maybe you're too old to be doing that. Put your effort into something else. That was the first time that someone said, put your effort into something else. What I realized was that instead of writing poetry, you know, creative mm -hmm. writing, right? Like how you mm -hmm. do, mm -hmm. I can be a writer and write articles and write books yeah. and I can be a presenter. I don't necessarily have to be a rapper. I've improvised mm -hmm. the talents and the passion that I have in a way that I can do it. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing though. If you look at my Instagram reels, you will always find old school hip hop music. Mm -hmm. And that's my way of respecting that part of me that didn't die it just got changed around a little bit yeah for folks out there listening that love music that may not have the talent or they want to incorporate music into their work melissa what are three pieces of advice that you would give them well i think that 
incorporating music into your work enhances your work. And I always think of it almost like being like a movie. And I think I, I mentioned that to you one day. It's like, you know, the, the coming attractions, like imagine the coming attractions without sound. Like it doesn't have the impact that it would, that it does when it has the sound. So I kind of see the same thing like you do with the reels or like if I do with quotes or something. And I think any other creative outlet like music um, enhances, enhances that. I definitely see that. I've also heard that if you put a trending song, I tend to put the stuff that has influenced me. So I'm learning how to figure out how to do that. That's right. That's yeah. another, yeah, that's another piece of advice, like picking music that represents you. And right. I think also picking part of the music that the lyrics go with what you um, want to show or what the message that you want to send out. Um, the lyrics mm. are really important. Folks out there, don't be afraid to incorporate music, mm -hmm. even if it's just instrumentals into your work. And if you have a talent, put it out there, put it out there. That's what we're learning mm -hmm. from Melissa. Now we're going to transition into creative writing. I had to do my research. I had to go and chat GPT and I had to look up, well, what's the difference between a creative writer and someone who writes articles? We'll get there in a moment, but can you mm -hmm. define creative writing for the audience? Well, for me, creative writing is writing that doesn't have boundaries, that doesn't have structure, and it is driven by whatever is in you. Um, I love writing, but I, even in school, I wasn't really well, I did not do really well in structure writing, like the topic sentence and this and this, like that would like, that used to drive me crazy because <laughs> I'm designed differently. So like you, what you do with your articles, how you take your rap influence, which rap is to me is poetry with rhythm and beats. I try to take, um, when I write my articles, I try to take those creative writing um, ideas and incorporate them into my articles as well. Um, especially what I like to use is imagery. A lot of words that paint the picture for you. Mm. Mm. For our scholars out there, can, would you mind if I read the difference? Of course. Yeah. I yeah. Went on Chat GPT, for folks that don't know, Chat GPT is one of several. AI models, artificial intelligence. And I asked for a comparison and it says that creative writing is a form of writing that is focused on self-expression and imagination, just like Melissa said. It often includes fictional or poetic elements and it is intended to entertain, inspire or provoke an emotional response from the reader. Examples include short stories, novels, poetry and scripts for films or plays. On the other hand, writing articles on education topics is more focused on providing information, analysis, and commentary about specific topics related to education. Mm -hmm. This type of writing is typically non-fictional and aims to educate and inform readers about a particular topic. Examples include articles that lift up teaching strategies, educational policies, or research findings. I think it's important that folks understand what the difference is, but there's still a process that mm -hmm. someone has to undergo in order to be really good at it. Your go-to practices for honing your skill as a creative writer. 
So for writing, I uh, just recently wrote a blog about it. I like to set the stage. I like to set the environment. And I do that in igniting my five senses. So um, when it's planned writing, sometimes it's spontaneous writing. But when it's planned writing, um, I like that. I like it quiet. I don't really like movement in the house, like my when my boys are playing or tackling each other. Um, I usually like, you know, having a candle on, putting a music that kind of matches my mood. I usually like um, listening to Radiohead because I find their music very eclectic. So it's like a little bit of blues, it's a little bit of rock, it's a little bit of, you know, instrumental. Um, so, uh, you know, those kind of elements, I kind of like set the stage of the environment to write. And then I, you know, sit down and usually the first time I write something, I'll have an idea in my head and I just pour everything out on the paper. What's beautiful about writing is that when you have a journal, like I do here, um, I always look at it as a house and the door is always open, right? So I could sit down for 10, 15 minutes, write, And if there's nothing else, I'll go back to it. And that's just, and that's just the creative process. The creative process is usually like gathering your thoughts and ideas putting them down. And then there's an incubation time where it's like, you kind of had to have to let it sit and revisit and go back. So it's like, you're revisiting this house. It's like an open door. Um, Another thing that I like to do, especially when I don't feel so inspired is to search for prompts. So it could be visual prompts it could be, you know, things that you see online. It could be going out in nature and getting your phone out and taking pictures of things that might insp- might inspire you, a streetlight or the road or a tree. And, and you start little, like you start, whether it's a flower or something, and you just use that as a prompt to, to write whatever reflections that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing is don't put so much pressure on yourself. When you first write, just put whatever is first in your thoughts down. And then, like you said, you just grow, grow it little by little. And then when it's ready, you know, it's ready because it's just going to feel and sound good. And a lot of times, like I know people use social media for sometimes, you know, negative things, but I use social media for positive things. I like to follow other writers I like to follow other musicians. Um, I kind of use it to my benefit because it helps me grow and see things from a different perspective. And it's like, oh, it influences me to to make my craft a little bit better. That is so good. That is perfect advice for folks out there listening. If you want to be a writer, really, if you want to be anything that involves your creativity, um, set the stage for it right? Dim the lights, mm-hmm. put the music on, do the things mm-hmm. that Melissa said. Um, can I give a little bit of my writing journey? Is that okay? Yes, like, I of course. I write articles and I'm now on my fourth book. One of the things that very early on, I wanted to be a writer. My very first article that was published was in high school. Wow. I wrote an article about my experience in going to family court and being in foster care. And my teacher thought it was great. And she had it published in some high school magazine. I'm not sure exactly which one. I wish I could find it. I'm not sure if I'll ever find it again, but that was a long time ago. It was in 1994. Mm -hmm. So there was no 
internet back then. Um, but when I wanted to become an author and become a writer, I feel like I manifested it. I wrote down what my goal was about six, seven years ago. And I'll be very honest, I was intimidated by my own goal, but I mm -hmm. wanted to publish on Edutopia. And mm -hmm. it took me five years before I developed the ability to explain what I'm doing in my classroom or my advice for other educators in a logical, in a coherent, straightforward way that's really built on a framework of a little bit of research, my personal insight, how I'm doing it, but then actionable steps and strategies. The way that I honed my craft initially was writing 90 minutes a day. And I would mm -hmm. wake up every day, four or five in the morning, and I would dedicate 90 minutes. That's why I have such a big body of work. And I was paired with Marva Hinton over at Edutopia. And Marva really helped me in finding my voice and finding my mm -hmm. way. And if you read my articles now, like you can see that it's always in my voice mm -hmm. and it's very conversational. But for folks out there listening, my process has changed. I no longer have 90 minutes a day to write. So another friend named Crystal told me, well, I write 250 words a day. That's wow. all I got time for. So that's all I do now. But if you mm -hmm. think about it in three months, that's like a book. Yeah. And if you write your yeah. articles every week, every month, like how you do, and I do, you have parts of your chapters already laid out. So for folks out there listening who want to be a writer, these are the type of things you can do. And that's why we had Melissa on the show explaining this because she has tapped into her creativity for someone looking to get into writing, hone their skills. What piece of advice one or three things that you would tell them. I, again, don't be hard on yourself. When you start, a lot of people start and they compare themselves to other people and, the, and then they like, oh, all right, I'm going to give up. That's, this doesn't sound good. And like I said, you have to build your endurance. You have to keep with it. Um, I have so many journals. I have journals that are for creative writing, for songwriting, for educational themes, and I, you know, little by little, I go back to each one. When ideas pop up, I go back to each one and I build on it. And yeah, some of them are not going to be masterpieces, which is fine. But eventually, you, like you say, you, you work on it little by little, you will build up a masterpiece. You will build up your book. You're putting in the time for the, the chapters. And also there's editors. I'm not so great at the mechanics of writing. So after I'm done with my work, just like I did with my books, I sent them to 10 people to edit and give me their feedback. Uh, the collaboration I think is important as well um, with the writing journey. It, don't put so much pressure on yourself, I think is a, a takeaway for me. Yeah, and that's how music gets made too. Anything that involves a creative process, like you've mentioned, inspiration, mm -hmm. having collaborators, having people look at your work and provide feedback really mm -hmm. takes you a long way. And then eventually yeah. you develop that talent. I appreciate you explaining that. Okay. I started by picking three things that I love and respect about you, Melissa. So just to recap, you are very passionate about your family, about writing and about music. But for the people out there listening, what is something that we didn't cover that you want them to know about you? 
I, I like to be a support to, to educators, to, to friends, to parents, to fellow parents. So always know that um, I'm there for anybody who um, in the in educational field or in the creative writing field or um, not that I'm an expert, but it's always nice to have um, someone to bounce ideas off with. So I'm always there um, as a support for people. I am an encourager. I love seeing people find their gift and and putting it out in the world it makes me so happy because i really believe that once we find what we are passionate about it just makes the collective world a happier place to be and it's it's in it's infectious like it you it just spreads so um i it it was an honor i had a couple of uh, young uh kids in their you know, teens and twenties reach out to me and say, I love your writing style. I love how, you know, give me some pointers. And I, you know, I'd help them back and forth. And I just love it. it. It just, it, you know, it makes me so happy. So I'm always here as a support and as a cheerleader and as an encourager. Hmm. I love that. It's so good. And this is the part of the show where I give you your flowers. <laughs> and the reason why I do that is because I don't believe in telling people how you feel about them when they're not here, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be told while I'm here. So I want to tell you, um, you're making an impact in the world. Um, one of the things that I've seen about you is that you uplift, like you said, people all the time. You use your Twitter feed and your Twitter handle to promote positivity, people, mm -hmm. including myself. And I've seen you do this unselfishly for years. I just want to commend you for that. Also, your writing and your professional development that you're being invited to in person, virtually. I saw you at the beginning when you were first starting out. And I see right. that you're, you're always in someone's space now. You are planting seeds. You're helping change the world. One training, one article, one book at a time. Just the fact that you're having young people reach out to you, I think that is such an amazing thing because I remind myself sometimes if your contemporaries aren't singing your praises, there's some college students, there's some young mm -hmm. teachers that right. are going to do what we're doing one day right. and they're looking and they're learning from us, from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. And I know you're doing the same. So, well, let's keep it on you right now. Let's keep it on you. And that's the type of person she is, y'all. She is the type of person that she doesn't want to admit that she's an expert, but she is. She wants to put shine on others, but it's about you right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> let's put this into the universe. How can people contact you so they can book you, mm -hmm. not just in New Jersey, not just in America? Okay. In oh, international? Oh, all over the world. How can people? Oh find my it? goodness. Um, well, on my website, uh, melissacampese.com. Um, you could also uh, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, I just love connecting and collaborating. So I look forward to um, expanding my my community. And I'm so grateful to be on your platform. Um, and just connecting with you and hopefully in inspiring the world around us. Make sure y'all you follow Melissa Campisi on Twitter, 
on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and I'll put a link to her LinkedIn and her website on the show notes. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Lifelong Learning to Find podcast, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning to Find podcast with George Valenzuela.